0: Mm-hmm. Um. About a bumper sticker that read, If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I want you to think about that. And, Christian, I want you to honestly answer that in your own heart and mind today. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, we know that living. A certain way doesn't make anyone a Christian. Uh, You can go to church every day of your life, every uh, year of your life, and still die and spend an eternity in hell. There's some startling words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me that in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Any more than going to a shop makes you a car, or going to the bakery makes you a donut. Now, you go to the bakery enough, you may look like a donut, but it doesn't make you a donut. Being a Christian is about having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We must repent of our sin and take him by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Now, listen, if you're trusting in anybody or anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ today, take you to heaven and forgive your sin, then you are lost. I'll say that again. I want you to hear clearly, plain and clear. If you're trusting in anybody else or anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and take you to heaven, then, my friend, you are lost. And I beg of you today, I plead with you today to turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and take him and him alone. Now, we know our lifestyle doesn't make us a Christian, but being a Christian should determine our lifestyle. Our lifestyle does not make us a Christian, but being a Christian should determine our lifestyle. In other words, being a Christian changes everything. We're to live as believers to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that we are ambassadors for Christ. Christ should impact the way we live, everything about our lives. Our lifestyle should reflect His Lordship. To put it another way, our lips and our life should match. What you say and what you do should be in agreement. Many say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. Yes, I'm a Christian. But they don't live like Christians. Matthew 5, 15 and 16. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. That it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our life and our lips should match. Our walk and our talk should match. Our calling and our living should match. We should live like Christians. If we're a Christian, we should live like Christians. We know that. You might be thinking, preacher, that's the best you've got today. The best you've got today is to say, listen, if you're a Christian, you should live like a Christian. That's what I got today. And many people say, yeah, that's right. But you know what? They don't do it. It's one thing to say. It's another thing to do it. Gideon, our man Gideon, we're studying. We're looking at his life. We're looking at those days that are post-war. He's been used of God in an awesome way. And Gideon's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He's considered a hero of the faith and God used him in an awesome way. But we're finding in his post-war days, he did not always live the way he should have lived. He did not always live as a follower of Jehovah. And today we're going to take a look at Gideon's lifestyle. And as we look at Gideon's lifestyle, we're also going to look at your lifestyle. Now, today we're going to find Gideon at home. You can go ahead and be finding your place there in Judges chapter 8. And we're finding Gideon at home. And listen, who you are at home is who you really are. You see, most of the time when you're home, you're real. It's the real you in your home. Now, out here and in church and out in the world, you can pretend, you can make up, you can cover up, you can act, you can put on a good show. But at home, the real you comes to the surface. Now, I know there are exceptions. There are those who maybe are having affairs and covering them up and acting at home. But for the most part, when you're home, it's the real you. And that being the case, if I were to ask your husband about you, if I were to ask your wife about you, they could tell me about the real you. If I were to ask your children about you, they could add a little bit more about the real you. And hopefully, ideally, who you are here today and who you are at home are the same. In other words, you're real. You're a man or woman of integrity. You know, I wonder, I wonder if the reason so many children who are brought up in Christian homes leave the church is because perhaps mom and dad aren't real. I read a report in On Mission magazine this past week. It's put out by our North American Mission Board. Here's what it said. Some 20% of students... Who stopped attending church after high school say they planned to no longer attend church or weekly services once they were in college. In other words, 20% of our high schoolers, they made a plan. Listen, when I get out of high school, when I go to college, I'm not going back to church. As I read that, I don't know. Could it be because so many of their parents Christianity wasn't really lived out in the home? You see, children can see through the facade. Uh, They know whether or not we're real. They know whether or not our faith is really as important as we claim that it is. You see, they see day in and day out in your home just how important your faith really is. By the way, if you can take or leave your faith, your children probably will as well. If your walk with Christ is something that you just kind of play at, listen, they're probably going to play at it too. Or just totally deny it. Today Gideon's at home. And I want you to see his home. And I want you to see his lifestyle. He found Judges chapter 8. And we'll begin reading there. In verse 29. I'll be honest with you. I wish what we're about to read could be happier. And and, and I wish that we could end on a a high note here with Gideon. But it is what it is. So I want to learn from his mistakes. And and be drawn closer to the Lord in the process. We look at his lifestyle. Look at verse 29. Then Jeroboam. The son of Joash went and dwelt in his own house. That's Gideon there, Jeroboam. Verse 30. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech. As we look at Gideon's lifestyle today, I want you to notice, first of all, the morals he was displaying to everyone. Notice his morals. Now, we just learned last week and read a few verses back uh, last week that he had refused the kingship. The children of Israel came and said, listen, rule over us. Be king over us, both you and your son and your grandsons. And he says, no, I'm not going to be your king. But then we find he's living like a king. He had a harem. He had 70 sons by his many wives. And he had another son by a concubine in Shechem. Now, beloved, Gideon was guilty of polygamy. He was multiplying wives. Now, that was never God's intention when it came to marriage. Genesis 2.24 lays down God's intention. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The old preacher J. Vernon McGee said, God did not create several eves for Adam. He created only one. God did not remove all of Adam's ribs. God took out only one rib. That is, it's one man, one woman for life till death do them part. But Gideon multiplied his wives. He was guilty of polygamy. And if his many wives were not enough, we know he had at least one concubine. He had a concubine in Shechem who bore a son named Abimelech. Now, constable, notice that the Canaanites controlled the city at this time. And the concubine appears from the references we have in the next chapter to have been a Canaanite. Now, think about that You say, what's so significant about that? Well, the Israelites were to eradicate the Canaanites, but Gideon decided to marry one. He had a concubine among them. Now, anybody looking at Gideon's life. Could very easily and accurately accuse him of being filled with lust and sensuality. Gideon was not a one-woman man, he was a many women man. He had many wives, he had a concubine. His life did not match his lips. Back up to chapter 8, verse 23. Then then Gideon uh but Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. Nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Now, Gideon was writing what he said there. Listen, was that what was going on in his life right now? Was the Lord ruling over his life? Was he submitting to God's will in regards to his family life? No, his morals did not match with the fact that he was a man of God. He was busy multiplying lives and having all these children and having a concubine in Shechem and having a child by that concubine. I think Gary Phillips was right. He said this about Gideon. He says it appears that his life became increasingly carnal. Rather than becoming more like God, he was becoming more carnal and more worldly. And it may seem today that I'm being very hard on our man Gideon. And I don't mean to be hard on him. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. and want to show it for what it is. And it's apparent that Gideon got way off track when it came to his family and when it came to his lifestyle. Yes, he was a hero of the faith. Yes, God used him. But Gideon did not finish as strongly as he could. We notice the morals he was displaying to everyone. Notice, secondly, the message he was sending to everyone. The message he was sending to everyone. When people looked at Gideon's life. and You can bet that they looked at his life. I mean you're talking about a national hero here. And when they talked about Gideon and their houses. And when they were out in the field talking about Gideon. What were the people saying? I imagine they might have said something along these lines. Hey did you hear Gideon got another wife? Hey, hey did you hear Gideon had another son? Which wife was it this time? Did you hear about the concubine in Shechem? That Gideon got pregnant. Ladies and gentlemen. Whether you realize it or not. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Your life is sending out a message. To those observing you. Your life is sending out a message. You probably heard it said before. But it's worth repeating. Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people read. He may be the only Bible they read. When I look at Gideon's life here in these verses, I ask, where is God in Gideon's life here? I don't see God mentioned. I don't see obedience to God. I don't see God reigning preeminent in his life. Now, in all fairness, Gideon did make an impact upon the nation. Verse 33 says, so it was as soon as Gideon was dead... The children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal bareth their God. And so they at least waited until he was dead before they went out to out and out worshiping Baal again. But I don't see Gideon in this lifestyle reaffirming and reestablishing the worship of Jehovah alone. In verse 27, you know, he made that that ephod we talked about last week. And he set up that ephod, became a snare, and they played the harlot with with it. Did Gideon tear it down? Did Gideon make it right? We don't see it here. It appears that Gideon was too busy multiplying wives, making babies, and making a name for himself. While it appears he refused the kingship, he was busy building his own little kingdom. Now, Gideon was a leader among the people. He was not their king. He didn't want their kingship. We define leadership. Do you remember what leadership is from last week? Leadership is what? Influence leadership is influence and he was influencing these people and the way he lived influenced not only his own family, but his nation. So what did he do with his influence? Well, he lived with questionable morals and sent a warped message to everyone who knew him. Now, here's the question today, beloved. What about you? What about me? Let's take a look at our lifestyle today, Christian. What kind of morals are you displaying? Are they consistent with the Word of God? Are they in line with God's Word? Are they pleasing to the Lord? Do they bring people closer to Jesus or do they push them, Him further away? Now listen, I'm not talking about perfection today. I'm not talking about a list of man-made rules of do's and don'ts. I'm not even talking about legalism today. I'm talking about living a life that's consistent with being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about living like a Christian, submitting to his lordship in everything, every day. What kind of message does your life send to those who know you? It's sending a message. People are looking at your life, and, and you might say, If your lips, yes, I, I belong to Jesus, and I'm a Christian, I'm a member at Red Hill, and I do this, and I do that. And your lips are saying one thing, but let me ask you this, beloved. Is your life backing that up? You know, sometimes our lives speak so loudly they can't hear what our lips are saying. Do your lips and your life match? Do your walk and your talk, does it match? Is your life about building His kingdom or your kingdom. You know, our Sunday school lesson this morning, and I hope you were here. If not, man, come out next Sunday. But our Sunday school lesson this morning says what? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, first place is given to the Lord, his kingdom, his priorities, his worship. Let me ask you this Does your life show that the eternal is more important than the temporal? Does it really show you know, There's two value systems wrestling here within us? There's the eternal value system that looks and sees things from a godly perspective and realizing that this world is not my home. It realizes I'm to lay up treasures in heaven. You realize that my home is in heaven. And I'm just passing through here and I want to take as many with me on this journey with me to heaven. Then there's that temporal worldview that says, you know what? I want to get as much as I can. I want to keep as much as I can. I want to have as much as I can. Do we wrestle with that? What does your life show? Is the eternal more important than the temporal? Does it show that Jesus Christ, listen, is more important than money? More important than position? More important than power? More important than fame? More important than anything else in your life? The Bible says Christ must have the preeminence. He's supposed to have first place in our lives, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a believer today, he's to have first place in your life. He's to reign upon the throne of your heart. But I look at Gideon's life, and I find Gideon's busy building his own name, building his own kingdom, if you will, busy multiplying wives and making babies and making a name for himself rather than lifting up the name of Jehovah. How can this be? You're the only Bible some people ever read. Let me ask you, what are they reading? Your morals and your message speak volumes and their on display. And the question is, are they good or are they bad? Adrian Rogers tells a story about a woman who once told her pastor that uh, I've become a Christian because of you. That's what she said to her pastor. You can imagine this pastor's overjoyed at this woman's new commitment to Christ and her new life in Christ. And the pastor said, well, which sermon was it that brought you to Jesus? The lady says, it was nothing you preached. She said, I was watching when a woman criticized you to your face. And your kindness convicted my heart. And I knew then that what you had was real, so I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Not a sermon. Not one he preached from a pulpit, but what he preached with his life. Now, thank God that that pastor surrendered to the Holy Spirit's leading and he allowed the Holy Spirit to bring about the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And just looking at his life and looking at his testimony, that woman says, listen, what he has is real. And I want it. Now, beloved, listen, we don't have to manufacture all this on our own. We're not on our own to live out a life that pleases and honors the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to yield ourselves to the Spirit's working. He is working in us to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. This past Wednesday night, we studied Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, if I remember correctly. The Bible says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now listen, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God is working in your life, men and women, Christian. God is working in your life to make you like Jesus Christ. He's not done. Don't give up on me. He's not done with me either. But he's working in my life to make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one that makes a difference in our morals. He's the one that makes a difference in our message. He's the one that makes a difference in our lifestyle. The Holy Spirit. You see, it's not up to me and us up to us to live like a Christian. Listen to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You want something to chew on for a while? Take Galatians 2.20 and mull it over and chew it over and meditate on it. There's so much there. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, my morals, my message, my manner—is everything about me, the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And I yield to the Holy Spirit. And I say, Spirit, control my life. Control my mind. Control my mouth. Control everything about me. And I live a life. That's consistent with the name I bear. Listen, don't ever. Don't ever flippantly use the name we have. Listen, we are Christians. Whose name is in that word? Christ. We bear the name of Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. And so I ask you today, many women. As others look at your lifestyle, be honest. What do they see? Do they see morals that are consistent with the word of God? Do they they hear a message with your life and from your life that says Jesus Christ is Lord of all? When they looked at Gideon, his post-war days, it was filled with multiplying wives and lust and sensuality and building a kingdom, if you will, for himself. If we're not careful, we just like Gideon. We're going to look at Gideon's legacy next week, but today we're looking at our lifestyle. What's your lifestyle look like today, friend? Think about your morals. Think about your message. What are you saying to the world by the way you live? Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for this day. Thank you that you painted Gideon's portrait, warts and all. You didn't leave out this material. It's here for us to learn from. It's here for us not to make the same mistakes. Now, Father, I pray today as we have this invitation time. If there's anybody here today who's trusting in anybody or anything else other than Christ, I pray today your Holy Spirit will convict their heart and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then, Father, I pray for the believers among us. Lord, help us to honestly open our lives up. To the light of the Holy Spirit. That he might truly show us what our morals are. What our message is that we're sending. Who is truly reigning on the throne of our hearts. Lord I pray that you would help us to live like Christians ought to live. Living lives to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've already been encouraged today in Sunday school. Lord help us to seek first. Your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to truly make sure that you are Lord of all in our lives. I pray you'll do that which only you can do in this invitation time. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing song today is 457. In my life, Lord, be glorified. In my song and in your church. If you're here today and you need to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, I want to invite you to step out and come down. I'd love to talk with you and share the gospel with you and put you with someone who can do that. If you're here today and maybe God the Holy Spirit has convicted you of some area in your life. Would you bring that to Him today and surrender? Maybe you need a fresh surrender today. You need to say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. Take and use me for your glory. Whatever God is saying to you today, would you respond in faith today? Would you respond by coming to the altar and giving it to Him? 457, let's stand and sing, Lord, be glorified.